1: Welcome back to the Cold War episode 223. Yes. Uh, Korea, Korean War part. Who the fuck knows? Uh, How are you, my diminutive friend?
2: You know me, I'm Easy. Yeah, yeah.
1: How how did you get through your birthday? How was your birthday? Birthday. Was it a good
2: birthday? Um, I mean, besides the. Where well, we got to do all the things I wanted to do while we were naked—that's a nice change. Uh, it was okay, you know. It's fifty. 50- you and
1: you and you and the kids and the all the family—you just got all naked and you rolled around. Well, Is that how you do it in Virginia?
2: If that's my birthday wish, that's it. You just you, you go along with it. No, uh, it was okay. It was it was okay. I had to pretty much uh, buy my own gifts, but the, there's no. There's no resentment. Mm -hmm. There's very little. Except there's a lot of resentment.
1: The gift you got from me.
2: Yes. The show. How did
1: you know it was from me? I don't think it came with my name on it, because I just sent it from Amazon. No. How did you know it was from me?
2: Honestly, it gave off Cam vibes. I didn't know what those were until I held the packet in my hands like the spider sensors thing. This is from Cam. So it's probably a massive black dildo. I don't know, but Fortunately, it wasn't when I opened it up in front of the girls.
1: You have no idea the amount of times I nearly bought you Click. sex doll, Click. sex doll, fleshlight, yeah. dildo, oh, and I'm like, no. one knows. of his kids, one of his daughters might open this, and you know, it's, I know, I look, I, I, I'm sure I've already got a certain reputation, but I, yes. I, 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 I held back, I well, I, well it took everything I had not to no, send you something I, like that. I
2: appreciate the restraint. As far as how I'm doing in general, as always, you know uh easy on the eyes hard everywhere else uh how are you doing
1: <laughs> well off too bad today actually i've i uh i ran out of my magic weed oil a couple of weeks oh. ago Emergency. And right. took you know uh, it, it took me a couple of weeks to get an appointment with my weed doctor. Roger. Finally Roger. got one the other day. Well, not I actually didn't even get it with him. They're like, yeah, there's another. He's busy for months, but I, another weed doctor. Yeah. So I got I got a resupply of my THC oil. So last night, for the first night in several weeks, I had a decent night's sleep. Good, um, which was good. So I'm feeling refreshed and ready to talk about. The end of the career of uh, Douglas MacArthur. But before we get into that, you know, I bought a big TV uh, right. a couple yes. of weeks ago. Yeah, first TV, TV we've had in the house in I think fourteen years, give or take thirteen, fourteen right. years. Changed. Um, changed our life. It's been great. I'm going back, watching all the great, all the classics, <laughs> and you know, you know, watching The Godfather and watching. Uh, oh yeah, Vittoloni and 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 Dolce Vita and all this stuff on this big screen—it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Caligula, but um, oh god, I haven't pulled that out yet. <laughs> Thank you. I have to pull that out. Right. But Fox has just got into Jumanji, so we've been watching the um, Jumanji films, and we started with the first of the reboot ones with the the Rock and Jack Black.
0: That he loved awesome. that. Yeah. Then
1: we went back and watched uh, the Robin Williams original. He loved that. Right. And then uh, Chrissy found a, a copy of the board game at a secondhand store the other day, so we've been playing that, which is fun, particularly because nice. it, it corresponds to the Robin Williams movie. Right. But then we started watching the uh, the the sequel of the uh, Rock reboot ones yesterday, <laughs> yeah. and I, yeah. have you seen that? The next level. Do you imagine the yes, next level? Yes,
2: I think yes.
1: Dan, Danny DeVito's in it. Mm -hmm. As one of the kids' grandfathers. Yes. And Fox, I don't think Fox has ever seen Danny DeVito before. And Danny DeVito comes on, and Fox, like within a minute or two, he goes, Is that Ray? He goes, That's right. Is that Ray? (laughs)
2: <laughs> See, I could have went a couple more lifetimes and and never known that, and it would have been okay. But no, thank you for sharing on air. Thank you very much. Oh, and you wonder country. why I cry in the bathroom. He's never, he's never heard me call you Daddy Davido before. I so say, it's just, oh, yeah, is that Ray? Yep. Yeah, that is right. Yeah, right. Ray.
1: Yeah, it's, it's Ray's a gift. got a career. Yeah, and he does multiple. it really good. Yes, you know Bronx accent or New Jersey accent or whatever the <laughs> hell Danny DeVito's accent is. It's well, just tell, Danny DeVito.
2: Tell Fox, I said thank you very much.
1: I will. Okay. Speaking of Fox, um, I've been watching. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but I've been watching um, the the Clint Eastwood 1984 film Firefox again.
2: Okay, I remember that. Yeah.
1: Haven't seen it since the 80s, uh, right. but I've been listening to ta- – the only podcast I listen to now, um, if I have – I don't listen to podcasts much because I don't have time because I'm never yeah. driving about or doing anything. But
2: You're on the other end uh, of the microphone. But,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, if I do – and I had to go pick up my weed yesterday, so I had to drive. And so I was listening to Tarantino's podcast. That's the mm. podcast I go to now. Tarantino and Roger Avery talking about films. That's That's my happy place. Right. Between talking to you – Yep. And Chrissy's vagina. Uh, that's my third happy place. So the triangle. That's I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that's gotcha. the, 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 the holy golden triangle.
0: triangle.
1: <laughs> golden triangle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a, a few episodes ago, a few weeks ago, he was talking about Firefox. He did a review of Firefox, and I was like, "Oh God, I haven't seen that in thirty years." Right.
2: Uh,
1: so uh, thirty-five years. So I've been watching it, and mm. there's this, uh, and it's great, uh, but. Listening to the Tarantino, so I I listened to him and then I watched the film and then I listened to him talk about it again now that I've seen the film. There's this great statement that I wanted to play on the show of him talking about the film and the Cold War, which Mm -hmm. I thought was kind of uh, interesting. Hold on. Here we go. Who are doing
0: a Russian accent at all? They're 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 just just doing a German accent. They're just doing German accents. (laughs) I mean, one of the things also that's actually kind of charming about it now is There is something charming to go back to the 80s when there was this Cold War, us versus the Ruskies, us versus them. What such warm, comfortable times those were. And the (laughs) fact that we actually thought that Russia could defeat us, not only defeat us, take us over one day, you know. Yeah, that Red Dawn could happen. Yeah, there was this, uh, you know, uh, I remember Howard Rosenberg, who was like the TV critic for the Los Angeles Times, wrote... uh, how can a country that makes Dukes of Hazard the number one TV show in America ever hope to beat the Russians? With Dukes of Hazard <laughs> is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> With, yeah. With the general elite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've got the Russians literally filling in for the Nazis. And apparently when it comes to Jewish persecution, the, the Russians are picking up right where the Nazis left off Completely. in this movie. hmm and he's talking.
1: You know, before that, he's talking about the, like the premise of the film that the Russians have developed this super advanced, high tech plane that can do Mark Six and is, right. it operates on your thoughts. Yes, and and Clint needs that. to go steal it. He's like, you know, we know now. This is ridiculous. The Russians had no tech, you know, no ability to be that far advanced. And in fact, they right. were broke and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting to hear Tarantino uh, talking about you know the Cold War. I'd love for him to do a sort of a Cold War era film as his last film, but we'll see.
2: That would be cool. Uh, Firefox makes me want to ask you, do you find yourself thinking in Italian? I mean, you've been doing it for a year, right? So it's like, is it starting to penetrate or whatever?
1: Uh, No, but I did have my first dream in Italian uh, about (laughs) a week ago. Right. And um, that was (laughs) trippy. That yeah. was trippy. Uh, and I was uh, I was in Italy in this dream um, introducing a woman, maybe a guide or something to Chrissy, so it right. wasn't sexual. As I Good. told Tommy, Tommy the Mock on Facebook when I mentioned this, that sadly I woke up before it um, turned into a hot, sexy threesome. But right. um, I was introducing and explaining to this woman in Italian in my dream about Chrissy, et cetera. So that's weird. You wake up and go, "Shit, I was just dreaming in Italian." That that is weird. Right. I just finished the main tree of um, like w- when you do Duolingo, you know, you have the basic modules, and then when mm-hmm. you complete a module, you can go and do the legendary level of that module. Oh, now nice. there's like eight eight legendary levels that you can do. But I finished all the basic fifty one. Um, each unit has like I don't know ten modules, so I just mm-hmm. did. I finished like five hundred lessons in Duolingo. And uh, just a couple of days ago, so I finished the base uh, Italian course and now I have to do like the advanced course and do all that. Mm. But, um, you know, it's been 808 days, I think. I've been doing it every day for 808 days. Nice. And um, it's been a a fascinating experience. I mean, uh, I really do give Duo credit for designing something that's fun and addictive and it gets you back every day and, uh, you know, you, they've gamified learning something that's quite hard. Right. And kept me at it for, and Chrissy, for every day for over two years, which at my age is astounding. I, I'm, I'm, Consistency, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Um, I know we need to get to the show, but just real quick, uh, because you've been doing all this Italian, I think you've been probably looking at Italian news, <clears throat> excuse me, Italian newspapers, and, of course, you know what's going on in Italy right now, so... Come full circle, now we're starting to, you know, countries are starting to elect or whatever, alt, you know, far-right uh, extremists. So, yeah, the Cold War might be over, but then there's Cold War Phase 2, then there'll be a Cold War Phase 3. It just, mm. you know, rinse and repeat.
1: Well, I think we should do some bullshit-filter episodes on uh, I Fratelli d'Italia, which is the brothers of Italy. That's Giorgio Maloney's, uh, yes. who just became the Prime Minister of France. Right-wing, extreme right-wing party. Big <coughs> Far-right me. party. Yes. Yeah.
2: Who isn't? I mean, well, they,
1: who isn't? Well, the party actually is Mussolini's party, as I understand right. it. Just sort of a couple of evolutions, it's sort of the, the granddaughter sake. party of Mussolini's party. Right. Anyway, uh, yes. let's save that let's, maybe for the bullshit filter. Let's get yes. on to Please, the Cold War. Yes. Um, on March 27th, 1951, the first UN troops once more crossed <laughs> the 38th parallel. Going, you know, they've crossed it once going north right. and they've crossed it going south yeah. now they're crossing <laughs> it going north again.
2: Yeah, But when they crossed it going south, they were actually running, throwing down their stuff, and being chased by people who were Chinese. And now, they're, like you said, they're going back. So, yeah, Bridgeway uh, has reestablished. So, yeah, good. So they're going back whence they
1: came. Well, the first UN troops to cross were the ROK troops, but they were right. followed closely by the Americans. This time, however, mm-hmm. they're not trying to reach the Yalu River as Probably quickly vast. as possible. That's Ridgeway. how they got in trouble
2: in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ridgeway, Ridgeway's <laughs> so you know- goal is just to reach the Iron Triangle, right? which is um, I, you know, usually the term I use to refer to your genitalia. But in this case, it was it. a term the newsmen came up with to uh, come up with this area sort of south of Pyongyang, about mm-hmm. 20 to 30 miles, 30 to 50 kilometers Above the thirty eighth parallel, it was the heart of the supply and communications network for the north ah, smart and it that's out. it. Ridgeway just wanted to take this control this area yeah um, and today it's sort of where the demilitarized zone is between right. the north and the south. He just wanted to control that he figured if we control this area, they're not going to be able to get down south. he just you know he wants to hold them far north but by April 1951, Ridgway's is fairly confident that he's got the army in yeah. good shape; um, that they're able to, you know, fight off the North Koreans, fight off the Chinese. His only worry mm-hmm. is that the Soviets are going to get involved. They're yeah. still thinking that this is a this fight is being run by the Soviets, or at least the Soviets have a deep interest, and this is where. The Soviets are going to make their first play for global domination. Right. Of course, the Soviets couldn't give a fuck right now, right?
2: Well, let me ask you this. I mean, so how would that play out? Would a couple hundred thousand Soviet troops in Russia get on trains, come through China? And I don't know if you looked at a map lately. China's kind of a big country. Uh, come through China all the way down and then unload and then attack. I mean, that, and that would be, you'd like to think that's something the Allies would be able to spot with their uh, with their reconnaissance planes. But again, when I read that, um, when he's uh, Ridgeway basically says uh, something like the only development that could possibly cause us to withdraw from the peninsula was, I felt sure, massive intervention by the Soviets. In the spring of 1951, such intervention was not altogether an impossibility. I'm like, you really stretched out those words to encompass this supposed fear. Again, When you're being emotional, when you're being fearful, it doesn't have to make sense. But even that, for me, was a bit of a reach. What do you think?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves that we have to stay in the mindset of these guys in the early 50s. They really had a very sort of primitive understanding, on one hand, I think, of the Role of the Soviets and and in Chinese communism, in North Korean communism, you know they they still had this Machiavellian idea of the Soviets of the Kremlin organizing this massive global conspiracy, and you know this was yeah yeah and and look look, there was an element of strategic long term strategic thinking definitely with Mm -hmm. the International Workers and all that kind of stuff when it was still running of global communism. But this wasn't, as we know, some sort of short-term plan that Stalin had. In fact, the opposite. He was just trying to uh, strengthen uh, the Soviet Union, particularly Russia, back up again after they have been devastated. But, you know, secondly, uh, I do believe that uh, this this sort of mythology of the evil Soviet uh, warlords coming to steal your babies and eat them... Right. was manufactured by, you know, the uh, military-industrial complex and the religious complex, the senatorial complex in the United States to it's, justify... Yes,
2: it serves them.
1: Yeah, yeah to justify massive military build-up again, uh, which is where there was a shit-ton of money to be made. Right. Um, now, yeah. Ridgeway, instead of worrying about the Russians, should have been worried about <laughs> the Chinese, think- who... At the moment, uh, we're preparing a huge offensive with yes. 19 armies. Right. They're like, he's like, ah, he's Chinese. I've got their asses kicked. They're done. Yeah. They spent, look, they're running away.
2: They're done, son. Um, yeah.
1: Meanwhile, they're getting ready to hit them with uh, a massive force. And his other main problem, right. again, not the Russians, Washington.
2: Yes. Yes. Could I, just real quick, um, yeah, so the Chinese are planning for a spring offensive. One, they're not tr- trying to be the bad guys. They are doing what they did originally. They are defending their border because the American troops were, uh, the Allied troops were getting closer and closer to the Chinese border. So again, it's not like they're doing something provoking. They're literally defending their border. And just, just to give you a, a, a sense of the scale, when the Soviets and the Communist Chinese use the word army, they don't mean like division, They mean like several divisions together is one army. So we're probably talking hundreds of thousands, maybe close to a million men. Who knows? But the point is they know they're going to lose a lot because the allies are going to bomb the shit out of them. But if they can come down with five, six, seven hundred thousand men, they're going to be able to reach the uh, allies and push them back. And that's what they want to do. Clearly, they can't trust the Americans. We need you as far away from our border as possible. And they were about to plan all that out. This was going to be a massive spring. Offensive. But like you said, it wasn't just Peking, it was also what was going on in Washington as well.
1: So Truman fired MacArthur on the 11th of April, 1951. And to understand sort of the context of that, again, mm. we need to remind ourselves what's taking place, I think, in mm. 1951. You know, and try and get into the mindset uh, of the American people and military leaders, political leaders. Uh, Right. Obviously, it's been about six years since the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. United States comes out of World War II victorious, uh, the most powerful country on earth militarily and economically. Yeah. Probably, you know, the most powerful country there had ever been in history at that point. Arguably. And... And Americans had their own mythology for that. We won. We defeated the Nazis. We defeated the Japanese. We saved the world. world. We, you you know, we're the White House on the shining white light on the hill and all this American uh, uh, mythology that existed then uh, and continues to exist today. You know, most people still have that idea of Americans in World War II, the role of America in World War II. Mm -hmm. And, um, so here you have these people that think of themselves as the most powerful country on yes. earth, most powerful country in history, and they've been fighting in Korea for close to a year yeah, 10 months. and have been yeah. just defeated by yeah. what Americans would tend to perceive by and large as a bunch of barbarians. Mm-hmm. Um you know what what do they refer to the Chinese as washing washing men or something like that a something, few episodes yeah. ago Laun- laundry laundry men yeah, yeah something like something that like yeah that. yeah but this yep. racist you know barbarian yeah. view uh, of of both the north koreans and the chinese and they're like and so it, this must be infuriating to uh, yes. uh, and injurious to america's uh, national pride what, what, what the hell is yeah, yeah? What the hell is going on here? We're the greatest country. These people are, right. you know, kicking our asses. What the? Who, who's fucking up? Who's right. doing? Who's so, fucking up?
2: Clearly, yeah, yeah. Someone's. Let and Martha of course, go, but, to the Republicans, yeah. right? It's um,
1: it's the Democrats. Yeah. It's Truman that's been yeah. fucking this up. Yeah.
2: Well, I just want to say real quick, as you and I can say with hindsight, this is the first of many instances where the powerful. American economy, the military, um, our way of life, whatever you want to say, you know, we think we're better than everybody else, and that we can just snap our finger, fingers and things will happen. To manifest that literally on the ground, to boots on the ground, to manifest your will on someone else is completely different than just being able to point to a large bank account and large population and large industrial base. At the end of the day, you have to get down in the dirt and fight, and that's what the Americans even to this day, in my opinion, are still forgetting. Just because we're, we think we're awesome doesn't mean everybody's also in love with us and they're going to do what we say. So Americans are finding out this is the first big lesson where just because you think it, think it doesn't mean it's going to happen. And the North Koreans and the Chinese are pushing back. And you're right, that the Republicans are like, the American people are like, well, I keep hearing the Republicans saying, bomb more, send more troops, more tanks, more guns, maybe nuclear weapons, whatever, let's do this. And so... To the American people, it sounds like, you know, one, we're getting our ass handed to us, and two, it sounds like the Republicans have got the right idea. And so this is the world that Truman is living in right now. The last thing he needs is an expansion. The last thing he needs is World War III with China. But this is where he's at right now.
1: Max Hastings, in his book on the Korean War, has a good line here. He says, Mm. It seemed intolerable that American boys should be suffering and dying in thousands in an odorous Asian wasteland, fighting a war with goalposts set by Pyongyang and Peking. Mm. Yes. And there were... So there were, like high-level Republicans, including guys like Senator Taft from Ohio, possible candidate at that stage for the 1952 Ah, presidential elections. Good point. He was suggesting that America should be prepared to win this war in any way possible. Suggesting implicitly there that nuclear weapons should be used if that's what it took to end the war. Can't have American boys dying over there. Uh, It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. And he and the other Republicans were also making the claim that Truman had acted unconstitutionally by sending troops to Korea. I love that. Uh, without, the, without the assent of the Congress. Even though Taft said if he'd asked for a set, I probably would have given it to him. Yeah, he didn't ask for it, no. and that was unconstitutional, and he was probably right. What do you
2: think? The other part of that is um, all politics is local. If, if They're bitching at Truman. If Truman had been winning, if Truman had pushed um, the North Koreans back, taken the country, united Korea, they would be, you know, whatever, to a degree that you can applaud for your political opponent. They're just, they're just nitpicking at this point. They don't really care about the unconstitutional. I, I think that's bullshit. And I think you're yeah. right. Taft, his father was president. Maybe he wanted to be president. But the other part of this that we can't forget is, while this is going on, you know, you've got at whatever stage it's at, you got McCarthyism or you got the Red Scare or you got whatever, the the Red Menace or whatever. And so even though it's happening in Korea, there's probably some people in America drumming up fear about communist or labor unions or socialist here. So for some Americans, it's a lot closer threat. But again, the the Republicans are going to nitpick in any way they can. It just happens to be their good fortune that the American and the other United Nation countries for right, you know, up until recently, we were getting their ass handed to them. So the Republicans are having a field day with this, and they have their eye on the White House.
1: And of course, they're not going to blame MacArthur. New no. goddamn American legend, son. A, a he's a he's a Republican. B run, right. they, I think they've got him in mind to run against Truman, yes. or yes. at least be v, you know VP candidate for Taft yes. or something like that. They want him on the ticket, so they can't mm-hmm. embarrass him. Exactly. And three, you know, he wants to wage all-out war with China, as we know, yeah. and they agree with him. That's what they want to do too. Mm-hmm. Um, victory at all costs. I read. I went searching through the newspaper archives to try and get a sense of the the, the climate over there and the media around this stage. And I ah. like. I got a couple of things I want to read out here. This is from the Knoxville Journal, Knoxville, Tennessee, eleventh of February, nineteen fifty-one. It's a profile mm-hmm. on Taft. Taft, of course, doesn't regard himself as an isolationist. He calls that a smear word and says it is applied to hush criticism of administration decisions. Mm. He gave his own definition of foreign policy recently in these words. The principal purpose of the foreign policy of the United States is to maintain the liberty of our people. Its purpose is not to reform the entire world or spread sweetness and light and economic prosperity to peoples who have lived and worked out their own salvation for centuries according to the best of their abilities right. Taft went on to say that the United States does have an interest in the economic welfare of other nations and in the military strength of other nations but only to the extent to which our assistance may reduce the probability of an attack on the freedom of our people mm. So interesting to me that this guy is you know considered Right. By well, historians today, no, yeah. by historians today, historians today, not distorians. Right. That's,
2: <laughs> that's Joe us. Rogan. Oh,
1: right. Historians are uh, right. people who historians. Uh, <laughs> When well, they view wow. Taft today, he seems to be like the, 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 on the far warmongering side yeah. of American politics at the time. The, the Democrats are going, we don't want war with China. Yeah. The Republicans are going, yes, we fuck China. We, we should go and take them out. They're the hawk party, hawkish party at the time. Right. But Taft, the, the loudest mouthpiece of this mm-hmm. position in America in 1951 is like, it's not our job. To be yeah. the police chief of the world, it's not our job to be uh, uh, spreading what is say, sweetness and light and yeah. economic prosperity right. to peoples. That yeah, you know, let people work out their own shit. That's not a problem. It's only our problem if it looks like they're gonna it's gonna they're gonna attack us. Right. If They're not going to attack us. It's not our problem. Right. Now consider that mm-hmm. <clears throat> to America's position. Uh, you know the mainstream American view today where I think mainstream America view today, not the far right view, the mainstream is we are the police cops of the world. It is our job to protect democracy and economic prosperity all around the world. That's the mainstream view I would say today. It's the centrist view that most Democrats and Republicans probably hold, which is that's how far the political rhetoric has moved in the United States between 1951 and 2022, 70 odd years. It's gone from being even... Even the most extreme guy on the right in 1951 wouldn't say that. And today, it's sort of the mainstream view. I would argue, tell me if you right. think I'm wrong, but I would say that is the mainstream view in America.
2: I would say that the Cold War taught us that, yes, we are the saviors of everyone. It is our responsibility as the greatest nation on the wor- in the world. Having said that, uh, and, and you've, you've kind of touched on this in, in earlier conversations, since you know, 9-11, and we've been at war in Afghanistan and the Middle East for the last... 21 years it, that is starting to erode into that mentality when we started bringing boys home people were like thank god you know it's like i'm I'm tired of all this i'm tired of tired of having the ribbon on my door every christmas because my boy or my husband or my uncle's not here or whatever so yes that is our mentality but it is starting to weaken because we are sick and tired of missing you know now what uh the second generation of people men young men and young women in uniform so are you right? Yes, but just the sheer fact that we've been out at it for so long, some of us are starting to get tired of it.
1: But if you can fight it with drones, then you oh, like, or, all or, or or, all or day, by son. funding other people like all the Ukrainians, sending all them day, seventy son. billion dollars. Yeah. yeah, so you still want to be the police, the police of the the global World police. yes, yeah. But you don't yeah. want to do it. You don't want your own boys getting killed. You'd rather you send drones or. or right. Fund well, you, other people to fight your proxy wars for you.
2: But you make a good point, you, you, absolutely, because that the drones and things like that allows us to keep that mentality. So, I, 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 you know, I actually, now that you've said that, I think about it. I think you're right. I think that it makes it more acceptable to see ourselves as the, not the policemen, the heroes of the world. You have to use the right words, Cam.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hero police. <laughs> what? What? Um. <laughs> Taft also said at the time that if he became president, he would declare war on China.
2: Uh, So much for moderation and common sense. That went right out the window. Sorry, go ahead. Well,
1: yeah. Now, MacArthur um, was still fighting Truman for more control over the direction of the war in Korea. He wanted to launch a massive air attack, and his plan was to create a no-man's land of nuclear waste in between so China and Korea. He was yeah. like, well, we'll just nuke the fuck out of it and, yeah. um, you know, they won't Probably. be able to cross the border and there Next. you go. That's Yeah, the- yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Solid thinking uh, there by MacArthur. Well,
2: um, let me ask you we'll this. Go
1: Vist- that was his yes, version please. of Vistadio. We'll go Vistadio <laughs> on the border regions. We're just going to do it.
2: Weapons. Nuclear
1: nuclear yeah. Vestadio, atomic yeah. Vestadio. Yeah.
2: Well, the reason I was confused by that was because one, MacArthur says, Let me give me a whole bunch of planes and bombs and I'm going to do a massive air attack. And then you're right, I'm going to create an impassable boundary between the two, China and North Korea, with radioactive waste. I guess I was naively thinking we'll somehow get up there and a couple thousand barrels and dump it. But I guess the easiest way is just to launch a bunch of nuclear we- weapons in a line and then the radioactive waste would just linger and they can't get through that. Uh, That's fucking cruel. It took me a while, but I did find out that uh, MacArthur got his honorary degree in nuclear science from the university of Chernobyl. So I think he knows what he's talking about, but that's just fucking insane. I'm literally going to lay waste to a part of this planet to keep the Chinese from coming South. This man really wants a war.
1: Yeah. Yeah so uh he was launching constant attacks against the Truman administration <laughs> and the allies, mostly what? the British, who he yeah, accused of a conspiracy. For fuck's he was sake. horrified um sorry, they were horrified at Road. his conduct. This is the British and most of the other allies yeah the british there's a lot of communications between you know the British chief of staff and british ambassadors they they were convinced right. that. Truman wanted to fight a war with the Chinese for personal reasons, for personal glory. MacArthur. Sorry. Yeah, MacArthur wanted to do it for personal reasons, personal glory. Yes. Um, MacArthur's constant refrain was that any truce, any botched up compromise in Korea, which left the Chinese undefeated militarily, would be a national disaster for the United States. And to his credit, here we are. Yeah, here we are, seventy-one years later. Yeah, uh, and you know, China's success is a disaster for the United States. It's their economic uh, success, not their military success. But uh, yeah, so maybe he was right. You know, maybe China. He he was a big, big thinker. Yes, Uh, yes. MacArthur. He saw. He he saw China. Yeah, China was the. Real one to worry about, but for the wrong reasons. Right.
2: but And we're just going to skip over, uh, was it in this in the 80s? I think it started in the late 70s or maybe it was not until the 80s, that American businesses started sending their businesses over to China. It's not like they just developed these companies on their own. American greed, you know, to pay less and to boost your profits. You know, we did send companies over to China, so we did help with our own Um, I don't even know what you want to call it, not, you know, economic defeats, but compared to what you just said, uh, as far as MacArthur to Truman, because at this point, now that Ridgeway has reestablished the line from the West coast to the East coast, it's about 185 kilometers. He has reestablished pretty firmly a defensive uh, perimeter. And now Truman is saying in public, not just in private, he's saying, you know, now that we've got back to where this whole damn thing started from, Maybe it's time to, I don't know, talk peace or talk nonviolence or non-aggression or, or whatever. But the point is Truman is like, OK, you got us back. Thanks, Ridgway. Let's see if we can lock this down. So one guy's ready to end it. And MacArthur is just getting started.
1: On the 5th of April, a letter was read on the floor of the House of Representatives from MacArthur to Representative Joe Martin. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Martin had, had sent a request to MacArthur asking him um, you know, whether or not Chiang Kai-shek should be able to land on mainland China, mainland China, what MacArthur's view was. MacArthur wrote him a reply which got read out. Part of it says, It seems strangely difficult for some. To realise that here in Asia is where the communist conspirators have elected to make their play for global conquest and that we have joined the issue thus raised on the battlefield. That here we fight Europe's war with arms while the diplomats there still fight it with words. That if we lose this war to communism in Asia, the fall of Europe is inevitable. Win it and Europe most probably would avoid war and yet preserve freedom. As you have pointed out, we must win. There is no substitute for victory.
2: <laughs> Stretching reality a little bit, don't you think? Mm. Mm.
1: The well, the entire in-
2: world depends on will fall or not fall based on what we do here. With all due respect uh, to Korea, my car is Korean. A couple of girlfriends were Korean, but if Korea is united under the communists, probably not the end of the world as we know it.
1: Couple of your girlfriends have been Korean?
2: Yeah. Well I, I mean I paid them, but I call them girlfriends. We don't have to talk about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've, anyway. one, I've slept with one i slept with one Korean right. Korean American girl years ago in New York. And it she was wild. Absolutely. Uh, wild. I, I did oh pay for God. the
2: deluxe package, so I'm right there with you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I actually, fancied a friend, not her as much, but you know. Anyway, my a friend, a friend was dating another friend of mine, and wow. it, was, it was touch and go there. Well, it nearly, nearly happened, but didn't happen. You
2: know? Follow the logic of the penis. If you hmm. slept with a friend, and hopefully her and her friend like maybe showered together, or had a, a thing in college, doing experimenting, it's kind of the same thing. So I would count that as a W. But that's me. You, you go ahead. Sorry.
1: <laughs> so. Uh, Truman and MacArthur. Obviously, this is coming to a head. MacArthur's basically basically uh, publicly saying that he thinks the, the Truman administration's approach to China is stupid and is going to is going to lead to the end. the end of the world. Yeah. Yes. Good, good. Truman had already privately determined that he had to sack MacArthur. He wrote, "I could no longer tolerate his insubordination," but. He doesn't want to sack him for insubordination. This needs to look right. This needs to go through the motions. It needs to look like it's he's doing this objectively yes. at arm's length. He needs he needs political. You know, ideally, he needs military, military, mini, mini Mouse, milli Millisecond, Magic, Magic, magic Miley Johnson, Cyrus.
2: military oh, right. and
1: political cover. Thank you. Yes, a military justification yes. for it. Yes. So he meets Truman. This is with the Joint Chiefs, and says, "Go through all of the statements that MacArthur's made, all of the communications from MacArthur, right, uh, and, and give me your professional opinion on what I should do about him."
2: Right, and and, and just and I love this about. So Truman is like just fed up. And Truman gets a lot of flack in history not being the toughest guy, and who in the hell would want to come after FDR, but Truman in his is like, this guy's got to go, but I, like you said, i got to somehow make it happen. So April 6th, he calls his closest to advisors together, and it's pretty much something along the lines of, McArthur wants war with China, I don't discuss. You know, he's trying to get the conversation going, but he's got to be careful because this cannot leak out. So... Uh, Avril Harriman, the former Secretary of Commerce, who's now a political advisor, he says, look, boss, this guy should have been fired two years ago when he was taking care of uh, the administration in Japan. He fought you tooth and nail, and he was a big pain in the ass. He should have been sacked then. That's the uh, that's the, uh, the the civilians' uh, position. But like you said, George Marshall, who is the Secretary of Defense, is going to go look through two years of messages back and forth going, basically, get me something on this guy, get me some kind of smoking gun or whatever, some reason, some justification, so I can get rid of this guy.
1: Mm. General Omar Bradley, uh, Omar Cummins Bradley, <laughs> provided the... <laughs> Simplest justification. Right. He said SCAP had provided overwhelming evidence that he was not in sympathy with the decision to try to limit the conflict to Korea It was necessary to have a commander more responsive to control from Washington. And that was the decision that was made. He was to be replaced by Ridgway as the supreme commander of the Asian uh, forces. Right. Yeah. Sorry.
2: No, I was just going to say so. So so between General George Marshall, Avril Harriman, Dean Rusk, and I'm not sure who else. Oh, uh, Omar Bradley, the first chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So the answer is yes, but. How in the fuck do you do it, and how do you keep it quiet until it's done? Because like you said, this guy's a legend. The Republicans love him. The Republicans are eyeing him. The Republicans are having a field day skewering Truman in the newspaper. So, yes, this is a monumental decision, but actually pulling it off, that's a whole nother kettle of fish.
0: Hmm
1: the interesting thing for me drilling down all this is yeah. I you know from the, my brief understanding of of uh, this episode the sacking mm-hmm. of MacArthur previously I thought it had to do with the nukes I thought so it was I. they were like oh you want to drop nukes sorry you've gone crazy we have to get nukes. him off this job yeah. alright come home you, you've gone batshit crazy <laughs> um but it really wasn't that. It was the continual insubordination. It was his uh, insistence that they had to yes. launch a war against China.
2: Open defiance.
1: Uh, open defiance against the administration, not willing to get on board with what they wanted to happen, which is contain it to Korea and come up with some sort of a peace deal and a compromise. That's right. really why I got fired. The nukes were just an example of how sort of <laughs> right. insane he had yes. become at this point. Yeah. Um, although, as we'll see later on, I think probably in the next episode, um, I've got some quotes from some of the books from guys that were there, fought in the war, who many decades later agreed still with uh, with MacArthur that they should have dropped nuclear weapons on China. Right. So it was not an unpopular view with the rank and file, even decades right. later. Anyway, so Truman had decided they were going to announce this on the 12th, time it right for uh, Tokyo time, but uh, they found out on the 11th that it had already been leaked yeah. to it's the Chicago. Washington Post. And oh. they were gonna, they were gonna run it. I think it was Washington Post, wasn't it? Oh, I had read Ch- Chicago Trivia, but the point is, you're oh, right.
2: It's one. out. They're gonna release it the next day. So Truman, like, I don't care that it's midnight or eleven o'clock. We've got a freaking move on this.
1: Yeah. So uh, they sent a message out uh, via teletype half an hour after midnight to the Pentagon mm. uh, on the eleventh of April, Washington time. Half an hour after midnight. Right. Uh, the White House press corps was summoned to a press conference at the White House for at 1 a.m.
2: <laughs>
1: that better be big
2: news. 1 a.m. Yeah. It's my sleep I don't pajamas? No.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For a special announcement. Mm-hmm. Um when when they arrived, the reporters were handed a copy of the president's order for MacArthur's relief and Ridgway's uh, promotion. And I'll read a little bit of the statement from Truman here just to wrap up this episode. With deep regret, I have concluded the General of the Army, Douglas MacArthur, is unable to give his wholehearted support to the policies of the United States government and of the United Nations in matters pertaining to his official duties. In view of the specific responsibility imposed on me by the Constitution of the United States... And of the added responsibility which has been entrusted to me by the United Nations, I have decided that I must make a change of command in the Far East. I have, therefore, relieved General MacArthur of his commands and have designated Lieutenant General Matthew B. Ridgway as his successor." Full and vigorous debate on matters of national policy is a vital element in the constitutional system of our free democracy. It is fundamental, however, that military commanders must be governed by the policies and directives issued to them in the manner provided by our laws and constitution. In time of crisis, this consideration is particularly compelling. General MacArthur's place in history is fully established. The nation owes him a debt of gratitude for the distinguished and exceptional service which he has rendered his country in posts of great responsibility. For that reason, I repeat my regret at the necessity for the action I feel compelled to take in this case.
2: Mm. He's right. I mean, the military cannot be a part... Of the decision-making process. Once the civilians make the decision, then you bring in the military and say, How to, "How's the best way to pull this off?" But they cannot be uh, on the same level as the political masters, because then you're opening up Pandora's box, and it's going to end up being something like Rome
1: or Myanmar. Exactly. Um, yeah. So he's right. Like no one elected MacArthur. He's not elected. Yeah. You're not make policy,
2: a- bitch. Yeah,
1: he's appointed uh, by by the the you know by the president, and yeah. uh, he needs to you know yeah. follow the rules. Follow well, what at, the <coughs> elected officials want, right?
2: As you often In remind fact. me behind closed doors when we get into an argument, Ray, love you. We're not equals. I sign your fucking checks. Mm. That's mm. what do, Truman- do what you're fucking
1: told. <laughs> yeah.
2: Truman signs MacArthur's checks, but, but it literally it, it was Get down deal- on
1: your knees and open your <laughs> mouth.
2: Right. <laughs> that, that was the uh sorry, the job. But but yeah, no, it almost got to a point where America was not being led by the civilians and like you know, like we said, that that's dangerous as hell.
1: Well let's uh, wrap up. Uh, you said you wanted to do some short episodes because um, you 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 know your gummies are kicking in fast. <laughs> so wrap this one here and <laughs> we'll be back later.
0: has descended across the continent. Of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.